We're right back into it for another episode of Off the Post Boston Sports. What's going on, Carter? Whole lot of losing. Yeah, a lot of losing, a lot of nothing going positive anywhere in any Boston sport right now. I mean, we're talking scandals, we're talking retirement, we're talking cheating, we're talking slumps. Where do we even start with all this? I mean, it's been a huge week in Boston sports, and it hasn't been (laughs) – Don't even know where to start. I think we got to start with the Red Sox um, before we get to before we get to the Bruins and and where they may be headed. But with you know Cora just being fired and, and mutually, I call BS on that. Absolutely. The, I feel like they it's the 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 use of the word mutually for me is sort of like yeah, it was definitely we definitely agreed upon it. It was mutual. I swear to God, it was mutual. Don't worry about it. It was mutual. Hey, was it mutual? Yeah, it was mutual. So, like, I don't, you know, it just screams Cora was fired and Cora really was just like, yeah, I had that coming. It's publicly mutual. That's the yeah. only mutual there is behind it. And that's just to make the Red Sox trying to look not as bad as they're going to in the next probably 72 hours or even a week. Because let's face it, he was a bench coach when that cheating was going on when the Houston Astros won the World Series. You can't tell me he comes over to Boston and recording and sign stealing comes back up and he has nothing to do with it right after being the bench coach of the team that just did it the year before and got caught. And even if you look at the report, you know, it mentions, it doesn't mention core by name, but it mentions the bench coach. And, you know, the manager that you asked was almost had nothing to do with it. He was, he was morally stated publicly. He was morally against it. And it was core, the one who was the mastermind of the whole thing. And so I think the Red Sox were, you know, were wise uh, to fire Cora, and it's it's I think it speaks well on on Heim Bloom's conscience. Do you but think there's any? It, I think it just avoids the Red Sox. You know, the Red Sox will be punished, obviously, um, but I think it avoids them having to deal with that along with um, the hellfire surrounding Cora. Do you think the Red Sox punishment comes sooner than later? Or do you do you see this as an ongoing investigation for the next month? I see this as an ongoing investigation for 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 the reason being. That this is a this isn't just the first time this has come with the Red Sox. You know, you think back to the Apple Watch situation when that was sort of just a slap on the wrist from the league, and the and and the commissioner said, the, you know, the second time if this happens again, we're going to come down on you really hard. Yeah, and it was absolutely swept under the rug. It was oh yeah, well they might have done it, they did it. We found a little something. Not sure. Hey guys, don't do it again. And that's all it was. But the fact that the MLB released a statement two years ago that if there is anything remotely done with recording, videoing, anything to be able to do to steal signs, the punishment was going to be harsh. And if what they just did to the Houston Astros as a first-time offender, you have to imagine that it's almost going to be double for the Red Sox and what they're about to deal with with how they punish the Astros. And I mean, it'll, it'll be interesting because, you know, Dombrowski's gone, now Cora's gone. How deep does this go within the organization? And, you know, it, it's, it's a little bit different. There's, there's a distinction between what the Astros were doing and what the Red Sox were doing. What the Astros were doing, they had, you know, they had somebody, you know, looking at the video, looking, looking at uh, the Astros signs, and then it was being relayed from the bench to the batter directly. What the, what this, what the Red Sox were doing is, is much more common. And, is, you know, you'll get, you'll get a guy on base. You, you'll, you'll look at the video sequences, and you'll look at, you're looking for patterns of pitches and, and and the frequency of the pitches and, and, and you, I mean, you're, you are sign stealing, but then you relay to them 
to to the guy on second base. You know, you get a batter on second, and he relays them to the batter. So it's a little bit more indirect, which is a much more common Wait. way of sign stealing. It's something that go you can do it even if you know all the way you know, starting in high school. If you can't, if you see that pitch, if you see that catcher throw up a one, you know it's going to be a fastball. You see it's a two, it's going to be probably going to be off speed. Three is probably going to be a curveball. So it, it's just I think it's it's a, just a more high tech version of 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 sign stealing, which I think is just common around the league and it just happened to be I think the only reason the Red Sox are in investigation is because it was Cora and I think I think every, everyone in, in Major League Baseball is doing it. May, Megan commented saying do you think upper management knew about it? I don't think anybody above who was on the coaching staff had any clue what was going on because I think you would see somebody nip that in the butt really early. The fact that the the biggest part of this whole investigation that I don't like is the fact that you had players reportedly going back into the replay booth or room inside the clubhouse in between at-bats to go ahead and understand signals. That's the issue I have. I get it. You relay them. You can tell people you have a man on second, like you talked about, tipping his hat, slapping his hand, something for a certain signal. But the fact that you were going into the clubhouse using actual game footage and then all of a sudden – you're you're back out of the dugout and you just went back to get taped up or get medication or something. You you can't you can't do that. Yeah. Um it just got breaking news. They're saying two candidates for the head coaching job for the Red Sox. One of them I like, the other one I completely do not want to see happen. But uh Jason Baratek, I think, will be a front runner. I do think he would be great for this organization. I do think he would be a player's coach, but at the same time, with him being a captain before. I absolutely see him being a good coach and being able to manage the players. It's always hard to be a player's coach and manage players at the same time. The second one is Dustin Pedroia. I don't want anything to do with that man on this team as a coach, as a player, as anything. He has set on a roster. He has eaten up salary cap and has done nothing for the organization for years. I don't like the way – I know somebody – that had been inside the Red Sox locker room for a couple of years saying he treated rookies really bad. And I used to be all about Dustin Pedroia, but after the stuff that I've heard from somebody close to that organization, I don't want him to be any part of any type of coaching staff on the Boston Red Sox. That's interesting to me because all I heard about, you know, during the 108 win season was how much of a voice he was on the bench and how much of a motivator he was and keeping guys heads up and, and making sure they were, you know, they're ready to go. So that, that surprises me. I've never heard or considered Justin Pedroia. I've never considered him to be, you know, a future manager. I considered him to be, you know, maybe a batting coach, a fielder's coach, a positional yep. coach, but never, never, never a manager. I could see him being a, a great positional coach for the Red Sox, but Absolutely. Other than that, I wouldn't want to see him rise to management. And he might, he might've been more vocal when he knew he wasn't playing and he was hurt and stuff like that. But I heard when he was a player, it was all about him, and he didn't give any anything about any new guy coming in. Almost as if he was threatened for his job, or had to make sure everybody knew he was above who was above who was coming in. See, that for me is different because I can understand that mentality as a player, where you know you're playing and you want to compete and you want to. Maybe that's just the competitor mentality in him, and that's not who he is as, as a player or, or a potential coach or manager. For me, you know. When he, when you know you're not playing, and when you know you have other things to contribute, it sounded like he was he was a great contributor on the bench. I met J- Jason Baratek one time. I was at a restaurant in Clearwater, Florida. It was the off season. 
it just happened to be the 10-year anniversary, the day that he punched Alex Rodriguez in the face. And he's eating dinner with his family. And on my way out, I just leaned over and said, uh, happy anniversary, Jason. And he looked back and kind of gave me a weird look. And he's like, well, what do you mean? I said, it's 10 years today that you punched Jason Barry or that you punched Alex Rodriguez in the face. And the whole table lit up. He didn't even realize it was a 10-year anniversary. ESPN had talked about it that day. He was clueless about it. And the look on his face and his family around him, it was a special moment for me. I didn't ask for an autograph, didn't ask for a picture. Just the reaction alone and me being able to walk out, I felt like a kid in the candy store at that point in time. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so, yeah, that's all the talk about uh, the Red Sox. A little more touchy situation. I know there's 16 of you guys on here right now from, from the Bruins page. Want to get some comments in the Boston Bruins right now. I feel there's a lot of lack of heart. There's a lot of lack of fight. I mean, you had a player, whether it was intentional or not, you had a player knock out your goalie tonight within the first minute of the game, and you did nothing to go back after him to show fight for what happened. Carter, I know you didn't think it was fully intentional, which I get both sides, but how do you not react and do something to get back at what happened, whether intentional or not? How do you set the tone at that point? I just think that being what it was in the run of play, I can't, I can't see, you know, it was Krejci who was on him, I believe, uh, who sort of, you know, first things first, he sort of edged him. He was trying to get around Krejci in between he and, and Krejci and Rask. And Krejci was sort of edging him towards the crease. Rask obviously eyes of the puck. And I think he was just trying to get his, he was trying to get stick position. It, that's why people think he reached out the butt end of his stick. I think he's just trying to get stick position on Krejci in front of the net, and it, you know, not knowing where he were or, or Rask was, just got the got the side of Rask's head. And I think as as a, you know, obviously it has to 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 bother you as a Bruins player, but I just can't see. I I should you know maybe a couple stick checks or, you know, a couple shoves here and there, but I don't I don't see any anything. From, All right. you know, from a guy like Krejci or a guy like Bergeron, anyone who was on the ice, to to retaliate for that, maybe maybe you know a couple of late hits here and there, but I don't I don't. It, for me, it didn't bother me. Just what I watched it a couple of times. Obviously, it bothered me that Rask was down, but it didn't. It, that that play, I feel like it it didn't bother me as much as it should have. All right, so let's go into this then. What do you do if you're not going to do anything on that type of play? At what point in time do you? set the presidents that we're not going to get pushed around. We're not going to get outskated. You're not just going to walk into our zone. At what time do you start becoming more physical? Because right now, all we're allowing teams to do on a night-to-night basis is dictate how the game's going to go. We get leads. We play well. We have won games. We show great signs of being a very, very good hockey team that can be almost unbeatable. And then all of a sudden, the next night, and the night after and the night after that, there's no fight. They're slow. They get down. Oh, I don't care. It's almost like an I don't care mentality. And it frustrates me as a fan that you can see it. It's not It's not when teams are playing bad, you can pinpoint this is what's the, what they're doing wrong. What is causing this team not to have full energy for three periods for this entire season? I don't. I can't pinpoint it. I don't think. I think it's too early to start 
you know, questioning the the trust of Bruce Cassidy from these players. I think they I think they've bought into to to what he has to say, and they bought into his system, and they believe in it. Um, and I, that for me, that belief is just coming from you know what guys like Bergeron or Charlotte or anyone saying or, or Marsh Anderson saying in, in post game interviews that you know they they know that it's 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 not their best and they believe that they can be better. It doesn't seem like what anyone's saying or even what Cassidy is saying, calling out his guys, it doesn't seem like there's a lack of trust in him. Calling him unprofessional was huge. And I thought after that statement, and guys, we'll get to all your comments in a second because I know you guys aren't here live and we appreciate that. So I'll be able to rattle off some comments here in a second and speak to the stuff that you guys want to discuss. But when I heard the comment that Cassidy called the team unprofessional after that devastating loss last night being up 5-2 to two and fanning on a puck to end it, I thought for sure this team was going to come out fired up and ready to show their coach that he was wrong or to defuse the statement or just to bounce back after that type of comment. I did not expect them to come out as lax as they did tonight. Now, uh, Courtney made the comment on here, head contact is head contact, whether it was intentional or not. Something I want to get your, your view on this, Carter. Just like in football, if there's head contact, it's reviewed. It's 100% reviewed to see if it, whether it was intentional or not. Is a player ejected? Should it be a penalty? They, they do all the reviews for head contact. Why has the NHL not stepped up to the point to say, hey, no matter what kind of head contact it is, if it does stop play like that play did, why is that not being reviewed? I think – Say it's 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 just another skater and another skater goes down and he goes down into the tunnel and it was it seemed like it was incidental contact. That you know they're going to call it incidental contact. That you know player safety might look at it and hand out a fine or a suspension later, but that's the way the NHL works and and it, and they're not going to treat it any different because it's a goaltender, um, even though he is more in more of a, a helpless uh, and defenseless position. But the, 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 the league is going to look at that, whether it's in Toronto during the game or they might stop the play. Or, but it's, it's not, it's, that's not how the NHL operates. And I commend the, the NHL for, for honestly, for, for looking at it that way. They let, they'll let the, the Department of Player Safety look at it later. Okay. So with that being said, do you feel the Bruins are taking too long to make a move on a trade? I feel that Sweeney is sitting on his ass right now. It needs to go ahead and make a move. I think this team is good enough as is to make a playoff run without making a move. But I truly feel that this team needs some sort of spark to come somewhere. And if they're not getting it from the players or the coaches right now, Sweeney needs to pull a trigger on a trade just to rattle that locker room up and see what kind of energy they can come out with. And the only reason I like what Sweeney's doing and sitting on a potential trade right now is because Sweeney is really good at thinking about the long term. He's not going to make a trade just to save, you know, a string of games. He's not going to make a trade just to save this one season. He's going to think about the next three, four or five years. And so, you know, it's a Foley trade might be great, but I think what Foley's 26, 27. Yep. Um, in, in the return for it or what, what would be giving up? What doesn't seem like it, it would be, I think if they want, I can't remember what uh, the return is for Toffoli, what, what uh, the Kings would want in return. They want Anderson and Providence, and I think a pick and, and Bjork. And that's why I don't want to give up that for, for a 27-year-old winger. you got three young guys and a pick. 
for a twenty for another for another twenty seven year old winger. Um, it just it seems like it's a it's a it's a cop out for this season. It doesn't seem like it seems like Sweeney's doing a really good job of being careful and thinking about the next three, four, five years. So I'll agree with you on that. My only argument with that is I feel that we have a three to five year window right now with the team that we have, guys. I feel that if we're going to make a run with who we have in Providence, with who we have on the current roster, with Char about to be out, Marshan's only getting older, Bergeron's getting older, you've got guys getting older. Now, do overall, is our core young? Absolutely. But I do think it is a three- to five-year window right now that we have a true opportunity to be Stanley Cup contenders for the next three to five years. That's why I wouldn't mind something like Toffoli. I know what you're saying. You are losing a pick. You're losing two young guys to get another 27-year-old winger. But you're getting a 27-year-old winger that's producing right now and can produce for another three years. When you don't know what's going to happen with these guys in Providence, are they going to come up and get the job done? Or are they just going to look good in Providence and stay in Providence? That's a good point. I mean, and the Bruins, you know, in the last couple of years, in my opinion, have not drafted phenomenally well. Um, so for me, giving up a draft pick isn't, you know, it doesn't worry me as much as giving up a guy like Bjork um, or any of the guys in Providence. It, it, there's no real sentiment there for me, but as, as promising as Bjork is, is he, let me, let me phrase this correctly. Bjork has been showing a lot of promise the last month. He's only been getting better. And I think he's finally taken this opportunity seriously coming up from Providence and after taking that break, um, so I, a guy like him is somebody who I'd want to keep. I don't want to see Bjork go. I think he's he's dedicated himself to Boston. I think this this last month has really shown it. No, he has. He has. And I think that second line's producing more. And I've said it before, guys. If that second line can start scoring, you do take the pressure off the third and fourth line. Remember this. Guys are on the third and fourth line for a reason. They are not true producers. They don't produce on a nightly basis. But if your second line can start producing more and do 75, 65% of what the top line is doing, then you're going to start seeing more production from the third and fourth line. The third and fourth line is going out right now saying, we got to score, we got to score, we got to score instead of maintaining the game. So I think if we can continue to get more scoring from that second line, you're going to see the other two go. Uh, Scott jumped on here and said, trade Krug. My comments on that, Carter, has no. been – no. If you can't sign him with a couple months left, or I should say a couple days before the trade deadline, if you're not even close to a deal, what are you doing at that point? Do you just ride him out to the end of the year and let him walk? Do you see him taking a hometown discount like he says he would last year? What do. do you see happening? I do. I do. I think we're going to wait till the end of the year. I think Sweeney is smart. I think he knows – how much uh, Krug means to the city of Boston. I think Krug knows how important he is, um, which is why he's going to wait it out and try and get a little bit more money. Um, not, I don't think he's going to try and break the bank. I think he knows that that would be a little bit selfish, and I don't think Krug is a selfish guy. Um, I look at, I look at even the bigger picture. Just you know, I see more, more public ads with Krug in them, and I don't think he would sign an uh, endorsement, would, an endorsement nope. deal with you know, knowing that he's going to be leaving in the next couple of months. Um, that might be reading too much into that, but but Sweeney and and um, and Cassidy have talked about once 
you know, the inevitable happens and Chara retires, you know, Bergeron's going to get the C and he said he wants Krug to wear that A on his chest. And I think he's earned that. And I think Krug knows that. So I don't Krug Krug is a special type of defenseman who's undersized, but is incredibly fast, incredibly physical, and is such an asset on the power play and the penalty kill. I think he's too much of a utility player as a defenseman. So a couple comments I want to read here. Scott said, you cannot ride him out. He will walk, guaranteed. And then Courtney said, they didn't think Tavares was selfish. So I will answer this. Krug knows what kind of money he can get from Boston right now. Because I said this when the season started and these two deals happened. They paid McAvoy. And then they paid Carlo. They set the McAvoy, McAvoy bar to a certain level. They paid Carlo a decent amount below McAvoy because Carlo is not a McAvoy. Krug sits in between McAvoy and Carlo. So Krug has to know right now that if he's re-signing with Boston and he's going to stay in Boston, that he's not going to get McAvoy money, but he will get better than Carlo money. So he has to know where the money's at right now. Because at that point, it's, okay, I know where I'm at or I'm not agreeing to anything and I'm gone. So I think they did the Boston Bruins did a very good job setting the bar with those two D-men getting signed and letting Krug know, hey, this is where your money's going to fall in. Because I don't think you can pay him Carlo money. I don't know how you feel about that or McAvoy money. I, I don't think you can pay him that type of money. I, I, don't, I don't either. I mean, I think Don Sweeney's a really, really smart guy. Tory Krug is a really, really smart guy. And I think both of them realize that they're at a little bit, they're tightroping a little bit here in terms of not breaking the bank and keeping every player happy. Tory Krug does not seem like a selfish guy to me in terms of, and he's, he's, he's given me no reason to not trust that, that he wants to stay in Boston. Courtney said McAvoy, uh, Krug would get McAvoy money elsewhere, and then Scott came behind it and said Detroit will give McAvoy $9 million if you wanted it. That's only because Detroit is rebuilding. Detroit is a, is a dumpster fire of, of a franchise right now, what, all the way through ownership. But I don't, I don't see – I mean, the only tie Krug has to, to, to the Red Wings is that he's from Michigan, and I don't think that's, good. I don't think that's what's going to draw him there. I don't think he wants to play for an organization that is as – uh, tangled as the Detroit Red Wings right now. And guys, no, if he goes there, if he goes home to Detroit, then it's solely about money. It has nothing to do with wanting to win a Stanley Cup. Because like Carter just said, it's a dumpster fire. And that rebuild isn't a rebuild that's going to be back in one or two years. That's going to be a long rebuild. And I hate it for Detroit fans and Hockey Town USA. But sorry, they're not going to be good for three to five years. So if he does leave, then that means just let him go because he wasn't here for what he what we want him here for. That means he was just there for the money, and that's it. Um, something else I want to touch on, I found it hilarious. It kind of pissed me off at the same time. So we had that huge debacle last night with Brad Marchand and fanning on that, uh, that shootout attempt. He then goes on social media and posts a picture of him hosting the Stanley Cup from nine years ago. Listen here, Brad. That's not a smart move. You're not getting back at anybody. You should know that you just made one of the biggest mistakes in NHL history in a shootout. You're going to get bashed on social media, on television, by locals, by fans, by haters. It's going to happen. And the fact that you go on there and post a picture of you hosting the cup 
and then you tell a fan that after he a fan made a comment Carter to him that I've read his hey, I've read his social media posts. He called he called the fan a peasant and said, "You try and play me in the backyard. Keep dreaming big, bud." You got to be bigger than that. There's a reason why people don't like Marchand, and that's part of it. See, that doesn't bother me at all. Brad Marchand's a social media guy. He's been doing it for years to to fans, and it's just it's just part of his persona and is part of his social media presence. That doesn't bother me at all. I the I'll agree that with you that the the Stanley Cup post is weird. It's like we know you want a Stanley Cup. That's not- but ele- but nine years ago, Marchand like it doesn't it doesn't bug me. It's just Martian reminding everyone, hey, you can, you can, you can, you can rag on me all you want, but just know that I have a ring, and and that's that's what's gonna bug you for the rest of your lives watching me play. Which I don't want to say it, I don't want to say it bothers me because it doesn't actually like bother me. The thing that I don't like about it is it makes him just look dumb. Like if you're gonna come back with something, come back with something good that just recently happened. Like go ahead and come at people, but the fact you post a picture that happened nine years ago. After missing the cup last year, I'm surprised people didn't turn around and throw a picture up there of him crying after game seven. <laughs> I don't know. It I just, you're right. Brad Marchand's a social media guy, and that's never going to stop. We got a lot of people saying that was stupid to post it from nine years ago. Courtney said that's like posting Lucic posting him holding the cup after a big suspension. What a goof. Um, Megan, who wants to be a part of a rebuild? Look at Subin. He can't be a part of New Jersey rebuild. That's a very valid point. Subin um, can't that, be a part of New Jersey just because that's not – the second I knew he was – I saw he was going to New Jersey, I knew he was – that's just not his style of play. He's not, He's a he's – a, he's a almost like a power forward defenseman. That's not – he's not really – he's a two-way guy, and, and, and New Jersey's just sort of a fly-up-the-ice team, and that's not, that's not a, a P.K. Subban style. P.K. Subban wants to cycle the puck. He wants to get – he wants to get in deep. He wants to rotate. He wants to to get in the slot and take shots and and make big hits and 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 get under your skin. New Jersey is just a fly forward, pucks in the net, and hopefully it goes in team. That's not that's what that's the only reason why PK Subban isn't 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 doing well in New Jersey. No, and I will tell you this: the one thing I love about the NHL, just as a fan right now of the entire sport, is you have your any given Sunday with football. It's any given night right now with hockey. Oh, it is. I mean, you had the New Jersey Devils play back-to-back, and they beat uh, the Capitals, and they beat Tampa, which, by the way, Casey just pointed out, Tampa just won in a shootout, so they did pick up another two points on us tonight. We're going against uh, Pittsburgh on Thursday with Crosby back, who's already got four points in tonight's game, so he's, he's right back where he left off. Um, we got a stretch coming up, and I don't think we can go into the All Star break when we're when we're losing. Courtney yeah, says you give you give Sweeney way too much credit. I don't think I do. I don't. I look at. <laughs> I, 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 mean, I, I think I think I give him the appropriate amount of credit. I look at what he's done the last three four seasons. Uh, he's brought us. He's brought us to a to a Cup final. He's brought us well within the playoffs, especially after Shere- Look at. Look at what he's done after after Peter Shirelli was let go, and tell me that Don Sweeney hasn't done an amazing job after missing after Peter Shirelli missed the playoffs twice. So, Courtney, he's got a, he's got a point. Look at look at me over through the look at me through the podcast and tell me that you don't <laughs> like what Don Sweeney has done after after look after the wet dumpster that was Peter Shirelli. 
Breaking news, guys. You had the song Kiss Me Through the Phone, and Carter's is going to restart it now. It's going to be Look At Me Through the Phone. It's going to be released in a couple weeks. He'll have a good beat to it. <laughs> Look at me through the phone right now. Do you hear my voice? It's there. No, you're right. The what Peter Sorelli was ruining this hockey team, and it could have got a lot worse than what it did, and we got lucky that he got out when he did. We got lucky that – or we are lucky – that we ha- we do have a Boston Bruins team that has been very playing very good hockey over the last few years. I mean, it could have look when we won the cup, we could have done what the Blackhawks did. They won a couple, and then boom, they've been non-existent for what three years now. It's been tough. It's, it's bad, and I don't think I think the way this organization is set up, guys, and the way management is, you won't have to worry about that with the Boston yeah. Bruins. You, you lost. Won't. You lost, uh, you lost Claude. You lost Tyler Sagan. You, you we've cycled through a, a, a thousand backup goaltenders, and all of them have been great for for Tuka Rask. You 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 look at the draft picks that that Shirelli missed on, and 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 Don Sweeney's been able to turn that into consistent winning, consistently getting to the playoffs, if not at least to the first round every year since he's been GM. So you. You can't tell me that, that I give Don Sweetie too much credit. He's got a point. You know what, Carter? Uh, Courtney said, fair point. Just think he doesn't take the first step. Well, sometimes when you take the first step, you lose. Just like in sales, sometimes the first person to talk loses. You got to sit back. He's not going to unload the team to grab somebody to make a run this year. Um, I do think happened, whether it's big, small, whether it's get rid of more and bring in Dylan from San Jose. Like, even if it's something tiny, I do think a trade of some sort will spark this team, but I don't think you're going to see them unload anything that, that that's concerning. I really don't. Don Sweeney is very Belichickian in a way where he'll, yes. bring in, he'll bring in a guy, get out of him what he needs for a season, and then the second they ask for way too much money, sure, yo, go, go, go explore the yep. market and, and land on a garbage team for a lot of money. Megan said, where did Sagan go? Sagan went to Dallas, and we had to make that move. When we did make the Stanley Cup run against the Blackhawks in the finals and lost, he had to be babysat. He had to have a security guard outside of his locker room or outside of his hotel room on a nightly basis to make sure he didn't go out and party. As a player, do I love the guy? Do I think that we do miss his actual play? 100%. But at the time it was right for us to part ways with Tyler Sagan. I mean, you look at a 19-year-old kid. I look at myself when I was 19, I would have probably needed a babysitter outside my hotel room too. It's <laughs> very losing, accurate. After losing a Stanley Cup, I was not I was I would have I would have needed to blow off steam and you you know, you look at a 19, 20-year-old kid. I'm I'm 22, almost 23. I would still probably need some form of supervision after losing a Stanley Cup after winning one. Megan said, so he didn't go to Dallas. He went to recovery. <laughs> um, Beth says, Bruce has been huge after Claude. Bruce Cassidy has been big, guys. And Carter, I think we agree on this. We've seen a lot of comments and posts and stuff throughout our page, throughout the Bruins page, that a lot of this slump has to do with Cassidy. There's only so much the man can do. If he puts the lines out there that have produced, there's only so much the man can do when it comes to effort and finishing a game. That he can't come off the bench and skate for these guys. So I don't know what people are expecting him to do differently that he's not doing now. But I'm not putting any of what's going on on Cassidy. I'm not I putting can't. it on him yet. I'm looking. I'm gonna look at. I'm gonna look at 
the first month or two after the All-Star break. And then I'm going to make a judgment call. True. Do you see it being something to where if we continue the slump that we're doing now, even though we are still first in the division and high on points, if we start to fall a couple months after the All-Star break, do you see, bold prediction here, Bruce Cassidy being fired by the Boston Bruins this season if he goes into that big of a slump? I think if they fall to a wild card spot, it's a it's it's going to be floated around. I think it needs to be prolonged. I like when I say prolonged, I mean either get close to missing the playoffs or starting out next season very poorly. So Wesley, I'll say what you said in a second. I agree with you, Carter, and I also think too if they do get into the playoffs, even as a high seed. If we're one and done in the playoffs, Bruce Cassidy will not be the head coach of the Boston Bruins next season. It will be unacceptable through that management. This team is not set up to go one and done, even when, even if they don't make a trade. That's not the way this team is built. I think it, so if they do go one and done, I, I don't see him coaching. I think it depends on how that one and done goes down. If it, I think if it's a sweep, then yes. I think if it goes seven games, then give him, give him, give him another chance for next season. If it starts out poorly, then – then you let him go. Other thing, otherwise, I think it would seem a little bit too premature. So two things, and we'll wrap this up in a minute, guys. Uh, Wesley said physicality, I think, is the part that will help the Bruins' consistent, consistency. How do you feel about that? I do. I agree. I mean, Kevin Miller, for me, is such a guy that you need in your locker room. And it's such a bummer that he's just so injured. And, and the recovery time is, is so long for, for what he's been through. But he's an absolute warrior. Uh, he's an absolute. He's so feared uh, on the ice. He's a phenom- He, you know, we saw it the last time he played. His play just got better and better, and it was night and day from the from the previous season, um, in terms of talent, in terms of speed, in terms of hockey smarts. Uh, and I think we're we're wise in keeping him around. And uh, I think once he can get healthy and stay healthy, that physicality will be back on the ice. I think as much as we love. Uh, David Backus's physicality that's not who he truly is as a player no because you can't get you he's just older and that's what he's good for unfortunately at this point um but and and you know once Carlo matures a little bit he's a big body and and uh Clifton isn't isn't afraid to get it to to mix it up a little bit so I think it's I think it's coming I just don't think and I think we could get someone um we can acquire some from a trade, but I don't think we need to force guys on the Bruins who aren't naturally big bodies or aren't naturally physical players to, to start doing that. Otherwise, you're starting to stray away from what they're good at. Correct. Because, guys, two things. One, we're not the big bad Bruins anymore. No. Get over it. Don't think about it. There's no Lucic. There's no McQuaid. There's no Sean Thornton. There's no Miller right now. It, it's not there. That was back when we made our Stanley Cup run, got a Stanley Cup, and then it just started dwindling after that. And that's not a bad thing because the NHL has steered away from that type of hockey. Now, Courtney said, how can you get rid of a coach after he took us to the finals last year, fluke or not? I am calling that a fluke, 110%. You guys have to remember this. The Tampa Bay Lightning got swept out of the first round. They had our number. We got through Toronto in seven games. If we would have had to play the Tampa Bay Lightning in the second round, I don't think we would have been able to compete with them. On top of that, you had the Penguins get beat. You had the Islanders get beat. And then you had, then you had the Capitals get beat. It was one of those years that it was gifted to us to get to the finals. We got to play 
a Carolina Hurricane team that was so overrated. That they got into the playoffs and they played a great first couple rounds of hockey. It wasn't mind blowing, but they got through their series, and then we showed the league who they really were by sweeping them. That was just bizarre. The fact that it, we got to play the Carolina Hurricanes in the Eastern Conference Final. Guys, it it was a fluke last year, and I think that's the problem with a lot of the fan base this year and right now is they're like, oh, we are a Stanley Cup team. We made it to the finals last year. We didn't lose anybody. We're going back again. Not necessarily, folks. Not necessarily. Do I think this team has the capability to make another run this year right now? I will say yes. I do feel they can. But I still think there's – uh there's some gaps that need to be filled. They can, and a lot of stuff, again, has to go right for the Bruins. Yep, which is not right now. Nope. And me and you both talked about this. It's an 82-game season, guys. We're going to have ups. We're going to have downs. And sometimes the downs last longer than we want them to. But that's why when you're up and you're riding high and you're rattling eight in a row, nine in a row, you win 15 out of 18 at the beginning of the season. It's so big for that. And, Carter, we talked about this, how – at the beginning of the year, when we started rattling wins off left and right, all people kept saying, it's too early. It's too early. It's never too early to put points next to the name. Never too early for that. So, not a whole lot else going on. We all know the big thing with, the, with New England right now, with the whole media, that Giselle's suite got cleaned out. Guys, it's the end of the football season. Every suite gets cleaned out. I don't care about this rumor that it's never been cleaned out like this. I'm not buying it. They just moved to Connecticut. It's, it's still... the offseason. It's the first time that Brady's has, a, in, a, in a very long time, that Brady's had a, a long, long offseason. And I think he's just taking advantage of it. He's, gonna, he's, he's moving into his new place in Connecticut. He's going to enjoy it. He's going to work with Alex Square, with his trainer, Alex, and he's going to, he's going to, get rested up he's gonna get healthy he's gonna do he's gonna do rehab and he's gonna move in and get accustomed to his new home yep he was at tb12 uh facility all day today with Alex Guerrero. yep and everybody made the comment that oh look he left he left alex guerrero moved too. alex guerrero moved 40 miles from yeah, foxborough he moved to plymouth yeah so i'd be very shocked if he does go anywhere guys and just be ready because you're gonna hear rumors you're gonna hear bold predictions you're going to hear all of that until, what, April? Can we briefly touch on Josh McDaniels kind of getting screwed out of three head coaching jobs? <laughs> all right, so I'm going to ask you this right now. Do you blame that, and do you think it was strategy by Belichick and the organization to make McDaniels wait to interview? I don't – I mean, you look at what he did with Joe Judge and writing him a glowing recommendation and not letting, not letting McDaniels make a phone call. But I just I, I want to know why I don't see I, w I was ready for McDaniel to leave and bring in a new offensive coordinator to try and work to try and get a new relationship with a quarterback, whether that for Brady or not. But I think McDaniels has run out of he's exhausted everything he's had in New England. He's he's run out of patience. He's run out of um, out of resources. I just I think it's I think it's time for McDaniels to go. Out of New England? I think I think his time in New England has come to a close. Who do you bring in at that point? Who do, do you even have anybody in mind that you would say, okay, this guy needs to fill Josh McDaniels? See, I was always considering 
prior to prior to Dallas, I was always thinking um, that Mike McCarthy would have been a great offensive coordinator to work with a guy like Bill Belichick. But I don't know who's I don't know who's out there. But pr- I swear, I swear to God that I was Mike McCarthy was in the back of my mind for a, prepen- for I, a potential replacement of, of Josh McDaniels. I could see that, and I agree with you that I think McDaniels' time could be coming to an end in New England. But I will say this: as long as Brady comes back, I think it's better to still have those two together. I don't think it'd be a good idea for Brady to start over with a new offensive coordinator for maybe two more years, three at max in New England. I don't think that would be good, but I also look at the other side. Would you be happy if Bill retired in two years and Josh McDaniels took over as head coach? I don't know how I feel about that because, like I said, I think McDaniels has exhausted all of his all of his resources, all of his trick plays, everything he's got up his sleeves with New England. So, but how much of that do you how much of that do you put on Brady? I don't know yet. I don't. I haven't made See, up my mind on that yet. Because that's my thing. Josh McDaniels has run a certain offense for X amount of years with Tom Brady and it's been very, very successful. I don't think this year you can put it on Brady or the offensive coaching. The line was depleted. You had a rookie receiver that was hurt half the season. You had another rookie receiver that struggled with getting separation. You trade for Sanu, who just couldn't catch anything. Edelman was completely banged up, and you had no tight end. I don't know how much you can actually put that on the coaching aspect of that offense. I mean, well, you got to play with the cards that you're dealt. And True. It just didn't seem like McDaniels wanted to play with what he was dealt. Um, Courtney just broke some news for us. Rask was concussed. It has been confirmed. He was 100% concussed. So um, let's ride this Halak train for as long as we can. Halak's been good. Yeah, no, he's a bad couple games, but guys, it's hard too for a goalie. He wasn't getting hyped for that game. You have a whole different mentality when you know you're the starter. And I know Carter can speak to it playing goalie at Division One college. When you know you're starting, you're going into that knowing that you're getting ready for the game. When you're going in as the backup, you're just going through your routine warm-ups, block a couple shots in warm-ups, and just get to the bench and put your hat on. And you're expecting them to sit there the whole period or the whole game. And then all of a sudden, boom, you're being called in. Um, we'll, see that, Doreen we'll, see said, how, we'll see how severe that concussion is. We'll see what uh, that news comes out in the coming days. Um, whether, you know, Halak's been great. It's just been, been a lackluster uh, defensive effort for sure. Um, back to the, you know, back to the Patriots. Uh, it just doesn't, I don't, it's going to be a long off season. That's all I, that's all I got to say. And that's all I'm going to say uh, for, for, you know, especially for this episode, because we've been here for a while, but it's just going to be a long off season. So we can end it on this. A couple of things with the draft. A lot of people are already saying that we need to go ahead and draft the tight end Moss from LSU. I wouldn't mind that at all because he is a big body. He is a stud. He's a pass catching and blocking tight end, which is hard to find. Yeah. You don't see that much. You have Andrews for Baltimore. Who's good. You've got Hollister. You've got um, Kelsey, of course, who's just basically a Gronk 2.0. A big tight end that can block and pass catch would be huge for this offense, especially to get separation and help take up a linebacker and open that middle back up for Edelman. Um, I think Edelman would be fine. 
this whole thing about the NFL dealing him with a punishment for jumping on the hood of a car. No, I think the NFL just came out and said that. I don't see anything big suspension. I don't see that happening to him. No. Um, and we did talk about it, Carter. Guys, I would be perfectly fine if Tom Brady re-signed for two years. They paid him some money. They moved up to maybe 13th or 15th in the draft, grabbed Tua, sit behind Brady for a couple years, and then you've got a healthy Tua coming in from Alabama to run our offense. I mean, to me, that would be an ideal situation. Oh, yeah. The last thing I'll say, the last thing I'll say, potential, <laughs> potential replacement for, for Bill Belichick. Can you guess what I might say? Is he a current coach right now? Yes. NFC or AFC? College. Nick Saban. Yep. Wow. Guys, if we ever ended with – this is only episode seven. If we ever ended it with a bold prediction, I think we just beat it right there. Wow. So you just would see Belichick handing the reins over. How old is Saban? I don't know. He's got to be up there. But, guys, imagine that as a New England Patriots fan. Brady plays for a couple years. They draft Tua. And then Nick Saban comes in and coaches Tua and runs this Patriots organization. That would piss a lot of people off. And you know what? It is so much fun. Even though we're going through some hard times right now, and we call hard times a month. Remember this, folks. Usually hard times for people that are fan bases of a certain city are years we're going through a little slump right now. We'll be fine. Uh, as always, Carter, it was fun. Uh, guys, this is episode seven. It will be on iTunes and podcasts by the time you – or Spotify by the time you wake up in the morning. It will be – the link for Anchor will be posted on our Facebook page that you guys are currently on. Do us a huge favor. When we drop the episode, like it, share it with everybody you can. Um, Carter, you don't even know about this, and I'll end with it so we can get off here. Um having a t-shirt made to see what it looks like right on. and uh, thinking about just giving it away to see what people think of it. And uh, hopefully we can have some swag coming. So got a cool connection over the last couple of days and going to have some uh, swag, hopefully getting created very soon. So Carter, I'll talk to you later guys. Thank you. Off the post, Boston sports, all Boston, all sports, all the time. See you guys.